0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another Tuesday edition of Final Whistle. As always, I have guests, and I have another guest this week. I've got Tim Best, host of the Big East Sports Podcast, The Igloo with Timmy Ice. Tim, thanks for coming on the show today and taking some time out of your day. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, of course, man. I mean, it's a long time coming. You know, you and I go back to our days at SHU, so I mean, this this is a long time coming.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm rolling through my senior hall guys, right? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's, hey, you got to hit them left and right, you know?
0: Absolutely. Well, Tim, I know your expertise in college basketball, so let's talk college basketball. I just want to get your overall take so far through the beginning of the college basketball season. It's been a real luxury just to have college basketball back and in the fold, especially in these unprecedented times with COVID. So, just give me your overall take, what you've seen so far, especially at the level of basketball. It's been pretty competitive.
1: Yeah, it has been competitive. And, you know, I think the big thing is, I think it's very clear that the two most dominant teams in the country are Gonzaga and Baylor. Um, Unfortunately, because of COVID, we were robbed of the opportunity to see those teams collide in Indianapolis just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, That would have been a barn burner of a ball game. And then I, I think also, I mean, I've been really impressed. Uh, Even though Iowa, yes, they have the best player in the country. They've proven to be one of the best teams in the country. Um, And Garza drives them, but they have tremendous support around him. You know, Joe Wieskamp, Connor McCaffrey. um, They just have all of these tools that actually make this team good and not just a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, Michigan State's been impressive. Uh, And I'm I'm also kind of shocked Duke with two non-conference home losses. And for context, you know, when they lost to Stephen F. Austin last year at Cameron Indoor, that was their first non-conference home loss since the turn of the millennium back in January of 2000 when they lost to St. John's. So I think that's another thing. And I think with COVID and everything, uh, it stinks having to see a lot of games, you know, be postponed, canceled. And, you know, some teams have been hit way harder than others with it. And the glaring example of staying in the big east is DePaul. You know, yeah. they've already had three different instances where they've had to cancel or postpone games. And here we are on this day of recording, December 15th. They still haven't played a game yet. And yeah, they had they had two games that were scheduled um added to it. December 17th and the 21st, they were going to play Providence and Butler. Those games have been wiped out because of more positive tests within the Blue Demons program and you know, at this point, you know, we're here um, nearly a month into the season. Like, should DePaul even play at this point? Like, I- I'm questioning it, honestly. And just to save the rest of the conference some trouble, you know, it just – I mean, I don't want to, like, be that guy. But, you know, you might, it might be time if, to just sandbag the season and just let the conference schedule things a lot easier uh, because it because of this – I really believe DePaul has kind of like turned the rest of the conference and scheduling games with them into a bit of a nightmare, and I can't even imagine what the front office is thinking you know at headquarters in New York City.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, and with I think I think the wisest decision, especially as we're talking about DePaul right now, they need to I think they should just clean slate for the rest of 2020 and try maybe give it one last go at tw- beginning of 2021 try and work in some games. I know it's going to be very difficult. You're going to be on extremely limited rest. But I think that would probably – that would be my best take on it, especially with how they're getting hammered. Or supposedly what I've been hearing there too is that they've got multiple different strands of COVID within the department. So that means they're getting hit by different angles of COVID, so, which is why they're getting hit really bad. It almost reminds – it reminds me of the Baltimore Ravens how they had four different strands in their athletic building alone. So from what I'm hearing, they have multiple, multiple strands in COVID, which is why they're struggling to contain the virus at the moment. Yeah, so and it's I not think just the, that one strand that's yeah. hitting them. Uh-huh. And I'm hoping, hopefully, we're going back to Gonzaga, Iowa. They're supposed to play Saturday. So I got fingers crossed, baby. I'm hoping that they can get this game. And I know Gonzaga's really struggling with COVID a lot themselves, so.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean that would be another great battle too. You get the best player in the country against arguably the best and most deep team in the country. Oh. That's a must-see game. Unfortunately it's on a, you know, college football championship Saturday. But, I, know, right? I mean, I'll make I mean I'll try to I'll try to make time for it. But, you know, I think with DePaul, I think, um I think part of the problem is the fact that, you know, you're right in the city of Chicago where, you know, unlike some other big cities like St John's, you know, they're in New York City, but they're in Queens, you know, where there's less population density. Uh, Villanova's right outside of Philly, about 15 minutes. Uh, Seton Hall, you know, they're about five miles away from Newark. So, you know, they're not right in these metropolises like DePaul is. And I think that kind of adds into it. You know, DePaul's, uh, you know, they're in Chicago, the third biggest city in America.
0: Hey, without a doubt. And I know we're Seton Hall guys. They had their game postponed today against Xavier. So I just wanted to get your overall take about what you've seen in the Big East so far. Teams that are looking impressive. I am sold on the Musketeers at the moment. They are they they have wings. They can shoot from anywhere on the court right now. They're shooting lights out. Like that game against Oklahoma really impressed me because they shot lights out against two of the better scorers in the Big Twelve on that Sooner squad and outscoring them is especially an Oklahoma team that puts up a lot of points is really impressive in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I think Xavier has been a pleasant surprise. You know, when I was putting out my power rankings, you know, right ahead of biggies media day back in late October, I had Xavier pretty low. I had them at number nine and I was questioning, you know, how good can Xavier be without like a legitimate point guard? Because the last four years, even though he was way off his game last year, they had one in Quentin Gooden. I mean, this is a guy, people forget. He was a freshman as the starting point guard of a team that made the elite eight. And, and he had to do it, replacing a tremendous talent Edmund Sumner who tore his ACL, you know, in late January that year. So he had to start the last, you know, I believe 10 games in the regular season. And then, all, uh, I believe, all seven postseason games on top of that. And that was, he got thrown into the fire as a freshman. So, obviously, that's a big loss. So, how, you know, how have they made up for that? Paul Scruggs has turned into the point guard for this team, and he's been a tremendous distributor. He's beginning to shoot the ball really well now. Zach Fremantle has – I think he's really shown why he was given the title of team captain along with Scruggs as a sophomore – because of the promise he has and just the on-court leadership that he has shown. He's led by example through his strong play. You know, he's starting to shoot the ball well. He's a tremendous rebounder at 6'9", and he he knows how to score inside and out. Uh, I think also you get the supplemental rebounding help from Jason Carter, which has helped. Um, Nate Johnson has been huge for them uh, shooting the ball, and I think the additions – uh, getting a, the waiver from Adam Kunkel has provided them some depth. And then, of course, getting Colby Jones and C.J. Wilcher out of quarantine. Get, just getting that depth has helped them immensely. And, you know, I really believe, like you said, this 7-0 record that they got, it really is no fluke. And I really believe they have that tournament potential. You know, um, obviously that remains to be seen because, you know, we have yet to see them play a conference game. They were supposed to play this past Saturday at Providence. And then, of course, tonight against Seton Hall. And then I think Villanova is the top dog after what I saw from Creighton last night. I really thought Creighton would be neck and neck based on how they played so far out of conference. I thought I was really convinced after the loss they had at Kansas that they would be right up there with Villanova. But that loss to Marquette, I think that kind of shot me down a little bit. I'm like, okay, Villanova is – the best team in this conference, and the reason why is because yeah, that loss to Virginia Tech not that good, but they made up for it with that big win at Texas uh, as part of the big Big East Big Twelve battle. I think they have another chance to prove themselves again uh, this Saturday in a bit of a Saturday night showdown at the Garden, a Holiday Hoops Classic matchup against Virginia. Uh, this is a marquee matchup um, heading into the season. Virginia has dipped down I believe to number 17 in the country while Villanova stayed in the top 10 uh really intrigued by that matchup it's gonna be a good one and it'll be really weird to see Sam Hauser facing a, a Big E's team but now from a different side uh with the Who's. um and then disappointments St. John's has kind of surprised me a little bit you know they look fine to get Seton Hall but They had multiple opportunities to beat Georgetown on Sunday. And against a team like that, you're supposed to close out. And they just didn't. So that's got me worried, okay, if they can't close out a game like that, they're not convincing me because before the season started, I had them as like a last four in type of team. They have the tournament talent. It's just a matter of putting it together. And it reminds me of 2018 because look at all the talent they had on that 2018 squad with Shamori Pons who turned into a star. You had Marvin Clark as a tr- and Justin Simon transferring in that proved to be solid additions. And then you had Tariq Owens, who turned into a monster at Texas Tech. And for some reason, they didn't put it all together. They had a solid start, but they lost their first 11 conference games. And, you know, I can't help but get that vibe from their early start. And it doesn't help that they got Creighton now at Karnaseka on Thursday. So I think that would be the biggest disappointment so far. And then, you know, looking up and down the line, you know, Providence after a disappointment down in Asheville, the Maui Invitational. I think they have started to, you know, rise up again after, you know, getting some solid wins. You know, they won at TCU. Um, And then, obviously, we got to talk about Marquette because, you know, as bad as Creighton looked in the second half, Marquette has been hit or miss, if you will. But the two losses that they've had, not bad losses. Oklahoma State has proven to be a solid team. UCLA, after that early loss to San Diego State, I think they're solid, too. I think they're going to be up there as one of the best in Pac-12s. And then, of course, they have that signature win against Wisconsin. And I think that and the win at Creighton has proven that this team can be up there as one of the top five teams in the conference. They have the talent to make the tournament, and they're proving that they they are moving on without, you know, their all-time leading scorer, Marcus Howard. So. uh And then UConn, you know, once they get back in action, of course, we can't go without talking about the new guys in town, the Huskies. You know, they're undefeated for a reason. You know, they have good wins against USC. They were going to play NC State before they had positive tests. But, you know, they have opportunities to win some big games coming up. You know, they get Creighton on Sunday at home and – that's good. That's a tremendous opponent that they got for their very first conference game. Uh, if they can win that one, I think they're going to prove like, okay, this team is a legitimate tourney, uh, tourney team, and Danny Hurley's got these guys back to the level of UConn basketball that we grew so used to seeing, you know, at the beginning of this century.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think UConn making the the switch over from the AAC to the back to the Big East is really been a huge uplift, for, not just for their team, but I think for the conference as well, and especially with them on, the, on a positive trend right now. They're trending upward. They're, showing, they're showcasing, I think, that they have the ability to be a top three team in the conference already this year, especially with the ability of their of being able to shoot. They have, and I think people are sleeping on how good their defense actually is. They play both ends, and they play tough. They've got that – they they're resonating with that old-school Big East mentality of when those – when we, the, te- the conference was massive. But those teams used to be – you knew UConn is that you were going to play physically tough and you were going to get a beating for 40 minutes. You were going to be in a absolute brawl. So I think that's a huge thing that's resonated with them. For Marquette, I think for them it's just trying to figure out what games to get up for and what games to come down for because I feel like – they resonated with the Wisconsin when they were coming off of the Oklahoma State loss. Speaking of Oklahoma State, Kate Cunningham is going to be an absolute superstar. And, and this year and then moving forward, he's I think he's already put himself as the clear number one pick for the uh, next year's draft. And let alone transitioning um, and then going across the country, I feel like that was a trap game, the UCLA game. UCLA had not been impressive yet this year and then go a little bit of a trap coming off of the Wisconsin high and then bouncing back, playing a Creighton team. Marcus Zagorowski has not been impressive for me. I know we talked about this earlier, that he hasn't really resonated with you so far this season, t- living up to that uh, potential Big East player of the year, being the preseason player of the year candidate, and also trying to – I feel like for Creighton, you cannot have Mitch Ballack as your number one scorer. I know Mitch Ballack is an absolute sharpshooter, mm-hmm. but he, I, I still don't see enough in his game to show enough mid-range or anything else to be a – I see him as a catch-and-shoot guy. So I don't know. That's just for me personally on Creighton and as well as, trans, as, well as saying about St. John's. This is the same issue. I'll let you – hold on. This, okay. The same issue I'm getting with St. John's is every year. They have all the athleticism – all over the floor, but they cannot figure out how to put it together into a system. That's what I'm keep continuing to see from St. John's. As, like, as you mentioned with that 2018 squad, that team was lit- literally stacked on stacked. Like, they should have been easily top three in the conference that year. I don't know
1: about top three, I had them top five heading into conference play. Because I mean, you think about how good that league was back then. Because Villanova, we all know how good they were. I knew Xavier from, had Xavier had all those seniors, and then of course you had Seed Hall with all those seniors. Yeah, but I I feel like they could have easily. Saint John's was
0: a team that should easily contended for that top three spot, and they didn't. They did not contend whatsoever. You know what I mean? That's what yeah, I was I, trying to get at. I, I feel like they should have been at least a contender for that well, top three spot. With, I think it also. With it, I know Villanova was way above everyone else. Xavier's mm-hmm. team was way above, but they should have been able to contend with the Hall for the third spot.
1: Right, and I think another thing, if you go back, uh, people forget about the injuries that happened to Marcus Levet. I mean, this was a real solid two-guard, but I think the big thing is, you know, after talking with one of the guys who uh, was part of the year before squad, Elijah Holyfield, who was a walk-on, who was on my show, he told me that that backcourt of, Pont and LeVette having two point guards, it just wasn't a good fit. And I think that was kind of what led to the struggles that St. John's had and why they couldn't really live up to the potential. But to go to your point about Creighton, it's great that you brought up Mitch Ballack because this guy was quiet up until last night. Absolutely. And the same the same went for Zigarowski I mean, it was I I said on my podcast last night, I'm like, okay. If Creighton wants to win this game and win it solidly, they're going to need production for Mitch Ballack. And he did that and then some, but the thing is Marcus Zygorowski was non-existent. And then honestly, the guy who has emerged as the number two scoring option with this squad, and he deserves to be, is Denzel Mahoney. I think he got snubbed for even getting an honorable mention uh, spot on the preseason All-Big E squads. Uh, I mean, this guy was Big E's sixth man of the year for a reason. And he – when he got to the team in December of last year, their game just was elevated with him. I mean, some of the impressive wins that they pulled off, you know, obviously beating Seton Hall to end the regular season to, you know, in that three-way tie for the Biggies title and get the number one seed. I mean, they also went into Wells Fargo and beat Villanova down in that game, winning by 15 points. You know, no one really goes into Wells Fargo or even – Viner Pavilion and does that to Villanova and Creighton did that this past year and then of course uh, what I call the MLK Day massacre all the way back in 2014 when they made almost 30 threes in the uh, I, where I think it was like 23s 20, 20 to 22 threes in that game uh, you know that's been Creighton's mentality I think they try to live and die by the three and it came back to hurt them so I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen um how they bounce back against a St. John's team like them that struggled
0: yeah and. To piggyback off what you've been saying about Creighton, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. Mahoney was the one that kept him in that Kansas game to even give them a chance. I, the I, I agree. All the time. He was the one hitting the clutch threes in those final four minutes to even give them the opportunity without then Zagorowski missing the free throw. Uh-huh. But I want to ask you this question. Has exactly. the loss of Mince and Alexander hurt
1: Creighton more than we've actually realized? Oh, absolutely, Absolutely. and I'll tell you why. Tyshawn Alexander, his defensive metrics were what made Creighton so effective last year because, yeah, they had a tremendous offense, and Tyshawn had a lot of offensive prowess. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this was a guy who got first team for a reason and why he left for the league as early as he did. He should have gotten drafted, at least in my opinion, because of his two-way ability, but... Uh, the reason why Villanova was picked ahead of Creighton, you know, in the preseason poll, even though, you know, essentially they were bringing back the same teams. But in terms of the big loss that each of those teams had, Villanova had the bigger loss with Sadiq Bay. But the reason why Creighton was picked behind him was because on the defensive end, losing Tyshawn was way bigger. Look at what he did last year, shutting down some of the best guards in the conference. One of them being Sadiq Bay, and, of course, Miles Powell. And even you know running around and trying to stop Marcus Howard, he did that not once but twice. You know that's not an easy That stopping the guy who led the entire country in scoring a year ago and you know is in the top 30 all time in the history of college basketball at the D1 level in scoring. so I, I think his loss has proven to be much more substantial uh the The loss of Mintz, not so much because uh, he was hurt all of last year, and look what they were able to do so I think the loss of Alexander has has been very, very crucial to this team. And, you know, I think if, if you're Creighton, that's got to be on the back of your mind. you got to be thinking, okay, how in the world are we going to, you know, replace that uh, defensive ability? Uh, because we can't do it with just one guy. It has to be by committee now.
0: Yeah, but I, in my opinion, I feel like if even if Davion Mintz didn't transfer out to Kentucky, that he would have been able to kind of f- – not be Tyshawn Alexander on the defensive end, but he could have been able to kind of like help Zegorowski and take some of that weight off of him in that backcourt. I feel like that was one of that's one of the issues that I'm seeing is that he's he's got too much of a right now. He's got too much. He's got too much of weight on his shoulders, and I feel like that's kind of hurting him because they think now that he's been ascended to. Hey, you're the guy. I don't think I don't think he is the guy. What do you think?
1: yeah I mean he's proven that I think he's kind of succumbing to that pressure, and uh I think it showed in that loss against Kansas when he had an opportunity to tie the game, yeah, he made the first two free throws on those three shots, but he clanked the last one, and you know he handled the pressure on the first two, but you know that pressure just builds you know with each shot and listen man, you know they call me Timmy Ice for a reason you know you gotta have ice water in your veins, and you know he he didn't have it for all three shots, and I think, you know, it's he's going to have to do a lot in order for him to get back in the conversation for Big East Player of the Year. Because you know, a, a team I haven't even touched on yet is Seton Hall, my our alma mater. We haven't even I talked to, about. I him.
0: wanted to save our hall to for the end, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, based on the way that he's played, you know, doing literally everything, I think it's Mamu. I think. The way that he's played, I mean, he's had two thirty-point games already this year. Yeah. Uh, granted, team success hasn't come quite yet, but if we're just talking about individual stats, I mean, this guy is a stat sheet stuffer. Triple S. That's what that's what Mamu has done, and you know, we've seen. You know, this team can only go as far as he does, and he's actually taken on that. You know, the guy a moniker. He's he's taken that in stride. Uh, kind of the way Miles Powell did, you know, after the core four left. Yeah. Well, let's
0: transition. Let's talk Hall for a little bit. Then we're already on it. So let's talk about our pirates. What do you see? What do you see from them so far? They've been extremely inconsistent. They have one great game. Then they have a flub. All right. And then I got to bring this up. Cause I want to get your take on this Penn state game. Cause I, from what I watched, I watched that game. we start to finished. I watched Penn State blow that game in regulation. I saw Seton Hall win it in overtime, but I saw Penn State lose it. I didn't see Seton Hall really win it in regulation because Penn State was taking ill-advised shots early in the shot clock in those final two minutes. Like, horrible shot selection. Like, I mean, all credit for the Hall. I'm a big Hall guy. You know that. We're both big Hall guys, but, like, from, just give me your take from, like, from that Penn State game, what you're seeing from Seton Hall at the moment, because, like, Penn State really should have won that game relatively handily, especially mm-hmm. going down that stretch run and before overtime.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, we got to address the elephant in the room, which was blowing that huge lead. And I think what it boils down to, you know, if they had that consistent – you know, superstar on their team. I mean, Grant, not a national superstar, but he was their guy for not just last year, but the year before that and the year before that. Lamar Stevens was a huge difference maker. And, you know, without him, you know, you see a a difference in that Penn State squad. But I think more than anything, seeing Seton Hall's resilience, you know, instead of just waving the white flag like they had the previous two games against Rhode Island and then Oregon, uh, they actually brought the toughness this time, you know, going down as many as 19 to actually come back and win that game. Penn State lost it to a degree, but, you know, it takes a lot of resiliency and the, the will to not give up, you know, you know, as we're coming off the end of Jimmy V week um, to win that kind of game, you know, when your back's against the wall. Uh, I think Seton Hall has got to be really happy with the fact that they have all of this experience still on their squad. Uh, because, you know, you have Mamu, who's a senior, Shavar Reynolds, Miles Kale. And and for them to do it also without Bryce Aiken is really important. You know, it's going to take even more time uh, for Bryce to come back. Chances are he's going to miss Thursday's game at Marquette. uh, But hopefully he'll be back in time for that Sunday game against Providence, which I think will really show, is Seton Hall really a top four, top five team in this league? Like, um, you know, when the preseason poll came out, you know, people were looking at Hall's 5 and like, whoa, that seems a little low. So they have an opportunity to prove that they could be in that top four along with Villanova, Creighton, and UConn and, you know, follow up right behind them. But, you know, again, like I said, I think this team can go as far as Mamu goes. And it's kind of like what we said last year about this team can go as far as Miles Powell goes, you know? So uh, when you have a guy like him, who does a little bit of everything, you know, that's literally a coach's best friend. I guarantee you, like compared to where he was freshman year, I, I can't even imagine how proud Ke- Kevin Willard is of how much he's developed. And I, I think credit his, the rest of his coaching staff, specifically my guy, G money, Grant Bill Meyer, uh, for developing him as this big man who not, in, I mean, we know what he can do from the outside and, you know, bringing up the ball as a bit of a point forward, but, you know i think that first year when he was there learning how to rebound under Angel Delgado has proved to be huge cuz i mean look at some of his rebounding numbers over the past few games and uh, even in his career i mean uh if you remember uh senior day back in 2019 when he was a sophomore against Villanova he had i think he had i think he had 18 rebounds in that game uh so he's had that rebounding ability in him all along and he really encompasses what it means to be an all around player Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think Mamu's development has been abs- nothing short of sensational, especially even just from the jump from from last year to now. again, just again, what you've mentioned, just taking on that being the guy role is something that not not many or not many people can do, and he's taken that challenge on head on, and he's been nothing short of impressive. So I want to get last. I just want to get your final little take here. Give me your give me your top
1: five right now in the, in the biggies. biggies. What do you think? Okay. How's it going to end? How's it going to end? I think Creighton is going to figure it out. I think if anything, you they're humbled by this loss to Marquette. I think considering you know they really want revenge in this St. John's game on Thursday because. The last time they went there, they got embarrassed there. They lost by 20 as the number 10 team in the country against a St. John's team that was 500 at the time. So I think if Creighton really redeems themselves in that game and, you know, wins in rather convincing fashion, I think they'll be a solid number two. I think Villanova is a clear-cut number one because they just have all the depth possible um, and to How have a great How big is that gap, but, do you think? How big is the gap? You know – I I, I really don't think it's one of those, like, Villanova's 1A, Creighton's 1B. Like, I really believe Villanova is is a clear-cut number one. You know, I think it's like a 65-35 split for me. Okay. And then I think UConn is a stable number three. And then I think this is where it kind of gets tricky. I think even with – With Seton Hall, you know, losing all these games, you know, I think they're battle-tested, and I really do believe that just with everything they have and once they get Bryce Aiken healthy, I think they're legitimately the number four team in the conference. And when I have my preseason rankings, that was my top four. So now the question is, who gets that number five spot? And Providence has the talent to be a number five. Haven't quite played like it, though. You have Marquette, who has signature wins. Xavier, who is undefeated, but they have, you know, been somewhat inconsistent because they've lost, they've had some close games against teams they really should have beaten down pretty good. Uh, I mean, the three that come to mind, Bradley, Toledo, Eastern Kentucky. But they have those two impressive wins beating Cincinnati on the road and then Oklahoma at home in pretty easy fashion. I just think Marquette's my number five and I think because they have those two signature wins at home against Wisconsin and then at Creighton they have a lot of talent I think it starts now that they I think the biggest move that they made that has helped them moving DJ Carton into the starting lineup as the point guard over Samir Torrance I hate that it happened to Torrance because Torrance is from Syracuse so I got to show love for CNY a little bit but Overall, Carton's the more talented player. He has the experience playing at a Power 5 program like Ohio State. And I I love his story because he stepped away from Ohio State to attend to mental health issues. Um, You know, that's something that's, you know, serious to me. So I totally get it and respect him for doing that and making the right move to, you know, get him in a better position uh, from a mental health standpoint, getting closer uh, to his hometown of Bettendorf, Iowa. I don't think it's really that far from there to Milwaukee, where he is now. Uh, Kobe McEwen is a big shot maker. He's, he proved that last year and even this year and they found ways to make up for the loss of Marcus Howard and even Sakar Annam to an extent, uh, even Brendan Bailey. Um, they found new talent to, you know, make up for that. Dawson Garcia has been impressive. You know, he was preseason freshman of the year for a reason. Um, I really like Justin Lewis who had the game winning tip against Wisconsin. And then, You know, they have guys who can step up off the bench. Last night against Creighton, it was Greg Elliott. Um, Wisconsin, it was Justin Lewis, who had 18 points, eight rebounds in that game-winning tip-in, like I said. And then, of course, they have that senior rock in the middle like Theo John. Uh, He personifies that team's grit. And, like, he really is, even though he's a taller guy, he's the embodiment of Coach Wojo, you know, to have that toughness and intensity and – uh, a guy like him is so severely underrated and he's what can take a team over the top just by his leadership that he shows on the court and off the court with his toughness as a senior so uh it's tough to pick between those two three teams but if i were to pick i'm going marquette in that number five spot and it'll be interesting to see number four and number five on my list square off in milwaukee on thursday
0: yeah absolutely and just my uh, what do you think? I mean, Marquette's got a lot of issue right now with depth. Like their rotation's only seven, eight guys. Do you think that's going to hurt them in the long run? Because they're 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 not going really deep into their bench like most of the other programs at the moment, and that that usually backfires on a team down later on into the Big East season. So, what
1: do you? Yeah, think? Yeah, it it very well could. And I think if we're talking about depth, I think Xavier's depth could elevate them to number five. Uh, Providence, they have the talent to be number five. Don't get me wrong, because when you have two studs like David Duke and Nate Watson, you know, that can carry you alone, but being overly reliant on them could hurt you. Whereas Xavier, they have several options that can get you important numbers, whether they be in points, rebounds, assists, forcing turnovers. I mean, they have a microwave coming off the bench in Kiki Tandy. I love Kiki. Like, like, Kiki, do you love me? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I certainly <laughs> yeah. do. Um, this guy can shoot the lights out. I mean, literally game one against Oakland, I was, some of the shots he was pulling up from, I was just like, wow. Like, yeah. this guy, even as a freshman, we saw glimpses of how good he could be. I think he could be the sixth man of the year in the conference. And then, man, I think if you could somehow get a waiver for Ben Stanley, by the way, he deserves it. Uh, if you know about his story, transferring from Hampton and being denied a waiver, even though he 's literally been diagnosed with two separate learning disorders yeah. and and he wanted to go to Xavier to attend in person classes because that 's how he he learns better in person like this isn 't even a basketball thing anymore this is an yeah. academic Is trying to do and the NCAA is denying him a waiver like get out of here with that garbage like come on I had to keep a PG like when I was talking about that for an icebreaker I did not keep a PG man (laughs) so you know if they get Ben Stanley who is a stud for Hampton I think this team can get even better and that can bring them up to the number five spot over a team like Marquette and they meet Sunday so that's another match to look forward to at the CentOS Center absolutely
0: and I think, I mean, as we've been talking about Providence, I think that Alabama game really showcased some of their inability, especially on the defensive end, because Alabama is no scoring team whatsoever, and they put up almost—they put up, I think, eighty-eight.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I, eighty-eight the
0: up I it, on Providence. And yeah, Alabama. I, I mean, all John
1: Petty, and that's it.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, and they got – what, doesn't – they have Quinterly there now at uh-huh. Alabama, but, like, he's not – he hasn't really been there as a scorer. But, like, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about Providence. I really don't because yeah, I think they I mean, just have showcased too much inconsistency right now at the moment. I do like – for me, I like your top three is the way it is. I agree, completely agree there. I would maybe flip Xavier in the hall. I think that's what be my thing. I would go four, four Xavier, hall five. All right. gonna, hey, I think it's gonna know. when Bryce Aiken comes back, if he comes back on Sunday, I think it's gonna because it's gonna be back to square one for them trying to integrate him into the into the offense because now he's gonna will be so I think that'll be a a little bit of a setback for them, and I think with Bryce Aiken, love him to death when he was at Harvard, the dude put Harvard on his back every year to get them into the tournament, and especially in the Ivy League. Uh, but for him, it's just staying on the court. He can't do it. He, he literally got hurt he has, in game he one. Has not. He has not done it. He has not done it to stay on the year, all healthy for the year.
1: Yeah, and I think the only time he did it was his junior year in 2019 where he, you know, I think he averaged like 23 a game or something like that. I mean, it, it, you know, that's something to be impressed by. But uh, talking about Providence, you know, you know, they didn't look good against Bama. Texas smacked them. And then they barely got by Davidson. Like, you know, I don't know if this is just a theme for Providence, where they kind of falter early in non-conference play and then just figure it out late. But, and then and then in Big East play, they just figure it out. Look at where they were last year after February 12th. You know, they just lost to St. John's. They were 13 and 12 overall, 500 in conference at six and six, and then they rattle off six in a row. Like, are we going to see that again? Or, like, I don't know, I just don't think they have the ability to do it because back then they had – Lawan Pipkins was a bad man during those last six games. I think that was a big loss because Jared Bynum is not Lawan Pipkins at all. So, you know, I I really think the fact that I think with Duke and Watson, two tremendous players, but I think they're too reliant on them and I think that's going to come back to hurt them. So other guys are going to have to step up. Uh, Noah Horsler, who I don't know why Ed Cooley is as infatuated with him as much as he is. Um, I think Greg Gant's a better power forward. Uh, A.J. Reeves has to up his offensive production because we no way he can do shooting the three ball. And then they're going to have to get other production, you know. Uh, Bryson Goodine, that's one name I could think of, is Syracuse transfer. I've okay. seen him. Um, you know, he came home to New England after transfer – transferring from su but i think the friars it's it's just a recurring theme where they just kind of struggle out of conference and they just find their niche in conference uh but again that remains to be seen and we're gonna find out if they really are gonna do that again and they're literally gonna open up with that tough game sunday at the hall
0: without a doubt um tim i want to thank you for taking the time out of your day today to come on and join the final whistle podcast please go check him out he's got some great stuff on his big east podcast the igloo with timmy ice remember he's got ice in his veins you gotta go check him out he's got ice um but thank you for coming on taking the time out of your day it's gonna be a great big east season moving forward
1: yeah pray to god that uh you know we don't have any more COVID issues um The only thing I will say before I go, you know, I briefly talked about Georgetown. I think uh, considering how much DePaul might show some rust, I think Georgetown might jump them because Javon Blair has been a revelation. Uh, Jamarco Pickett can be really good in spots. Same with Kudis Wahab. Um, But, you know, I got to wait to see DePaul because we had – they were literally going to play at Iowa State. They were there and ready to go and then boom – positive COVID test. So now we got to wait all the way until December 23rd, two days before Christmas, before we see them play uh, against UConn. So a um, lot of time to wait, but for now, you know, I think it's fair. Like Georgetown actually won a game against a team that wasn't trash. Cause St. John's is good. Uh, St. John should have won the game, but Hey, uh, you know, give credit where credit's due. Patrick Ewing is guy's one. And for now, uh, DePaul, because you haven't played a game, you know, that gets, that gets you at the bottom. And I mean, that's literally where they bet every year in the big East pretty much. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the one thing I got to touch on. And, uh, last, uh, of course, like you said, I know you plugged it. Uh, just make sure to check out uh, my podcast, the Igloo, uh, it's on mainly anchor, but Apple podcasts as well. Uh, I got a lot of great content, um, a lot of great former player reviews and, uh, I just put out a new episode last night ahead of last night's game between Marquette and Creighton. Uh, So uh, be sure to check that out. And I usually try to put out episodes every Monday and Friday. So again, um, be on the lookout uh, um, on those days for uh, new episodes. I I promise they're good. So again, just make sure to check it out whenever you got time. I'm a listener.
0: Don't worry. They're good. It's good stuff, guys. It really
1: is. So again, go check out his stuff
0: again. Thank you for taking the time that's another addition to final whistle. Everybody look out for me on Friday for my next episode as well. Have a great day, everyone.